This is a Truth for the Matters podcast. This is episode 128. I am Jonathan. And on that note, let's give a round of applause to all of our new and consistent listeners. We thank you all in advance for continuing to press play at your own convenience. So something we've added here on the podcast that we encourage you to do it on your own time is we want you to think of one or two ways that you believe that the Lord has blessed you. Now, as it comes to me, I want to first start off by saying that, you know, last week for me was a very difficult week. Wasn't necessarily anticipated, but it was an issue that started for me for the last two to three months. So I'll take my time while explaining this. And I believe there are people out there that also have similar issues it may not be necessarily a car but it could be something that you're dealing with personally or with somebody else so i'll start off by telling you my story so as you know if you've been listening to the podcast for the last three to four years you would know that i drive a honda accord 2003 and Right now, that car has about 243,000 miles on it. And over the last two to three months, I noticed that as I started to start the car, I started having rough starts in the morning. And of course, I took it to the mechanic. And he tells me that it's potentially the spark plugs of the coils. Now, on full disclosure, I've also took it to AutoZone to find the read and that's exactly what it was telling me. It was the spark plugs of the coils. So I replaced the spark plugs in the coils for about a week, and then the issue would resurface. Now, normally at a mechanic shop, they do something called diagnostic to find out what the issue is. And it seems to me that this mechanic that I've been going to since I've had this car felt like he did a decent job in knowing what the problem was. But unfortunately, it wasn't solving the issue. So I went from the spark plugs to the coils aftermarket, which means the part that was being put in wasn't the original part that goes into the car. So the next step is to go to the dealership. Now, I went to the dealership and the price fluctuates. It goes higher, right? The whole point of this is you want the car to run smoothly so you can get from point A to point B on a regular. And if you have to go to the dealership part, that means the aftermarket part is only a temporary fix. And it also can mean that because it's it's not the original part that goes in the car, it's not going to function as if it had the original part in the car. So I go to the dealer, I get spark plugs and coils. The price jacks up higher than what the aftermarket parts are. And unfortunately, again, after maybe two weeks, the issue resurfaces. So now I'm a little bit more frustrated than I was before. And I took it to the same mechanic again. And he says he doesn't really know. Now, the next step was to potentially go to the Honda dealership. And when you go into the Honda dealership, I'm pretty sure a lot of you know that the diagnostic price, anything that you ask them to do, the price is going to be even higher. So I took it to somebody else that I knew of that 
would definitely find out the issue, but he charges almost dealership prices. And within a few hours, I found out that there was a leak in one of the cylinders. So every car has cylinders, whether they're six or four. And a leak in the cylinder necessarily, well, so it's a high probability that there's something going on with the engine itself. And that's a, that's a pretty hefty price in, in order to correct the issue. And he doesn't do it anymore. The individual that actually found out the issue, of course, he charged me, but he doesn't do that particular job anymore, which means he pointed me to somebody else who does. And I speak to this gentleman and he tells me, well, he says, well, 243,000 miles on a car, for one, it's a leak. It's not a full-blown gasket. And normally, if I'm going to do that job, it needs to be at least two. But he said, because of the mileage on the car, it really didn't make sense for him to do it. And he starts mentioning a different option, which is actually an option that I had a discussion with with my neighbor, who also said, you're better off just getting an engine and putting a new engine in it. So I contemplated. Normally, at that time, of the morning, Thursday morning, I would go to the gym, but I couldn't necessarily work out with that on my mind, that on my conscience. So I decided quickly that the best option was to get an engine. And with this particular car, it's a VTEC. So I found a shop that sells those particular engines at about 55 to 65,000 miles on the car and it comes from Japan. So that particular engine is a Japan engine. And I said, you know what? I might as well do that. So I rented a U-Haul. I got a spare tire. I drove to the spot. And then I had the engine cleaned up and I took it to my mechanic. The same mechanic that gave me the false or didn't give me a proper diagnostic. Right. But, you know, mechanics make mistakes. No one's perfect. The only issue is, is that if you're not perfect, it's kind of questionable to be, be it's kind of questionable to be charging a certain price. Now, what ends up happening is they put the engine in and then another issue with my car resurfaces. That issue has to do with my throttle body. Now, I've changed the throttle body out twice. And at this moment, I'm pretty stressed out. I'm not in a place where I'm in the most confident place because obviously this is poking holes in my pocket financially and Saturday morning. So this was more of a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday project. So Saturday morning, I wake up and I go to the junkyard and I buy the same part that's been causing me issues. Because at this point, there was no way I'm spending anywhere between eight and hundred, eight and a thousand dollars for the same part that, for some strange reason, keeps failing in a car. And then I buy the part, and I just decide to walk to the mechanic shop from the junkyard, which was about four to five miles. And during this time. I thought it would be a great idea to just ponder and think because obviously I do this podcast, right? The Truth of the Matters podcast. And I think in moments of crisis, this is where you start to question the presence of God. 
right? And and I understand that when it comes to people that produce podcasts, have YouTube channels, some of them are living lavish. Some of them are living comfortable. And one of the reasons why I want to start this podcast, because in my life right now, I'm nowhere that I actually want to be. But, you know, as believers, our job is to live the Christian difference. And part of living the Christian difference is walking in faith, not by sight. And when everything doesn't seem to be lining up the way that you want to, this is where your faith is tested. Right? Is your conviction in God legitimate? Or will it change based upon your circumstances? And on this walk, I was deciding not only what the topic of the podcast was going to be today, but most importantly, what can I tell those who are also struggling with what to do? What can I say that could be inspirational and motivating to those who are also struggling? It's these very issues in life that would force someone to either neglect God, ignore God, and try something else, or draw closer to God because now you're in a predicament where you need him. This is also where you start questioning God. Where are you, Lord? Where are you in the midst of what I'm dealing with? Am I going to make it through? Am I going to continue to stress about it? Is there an answer that I'm unfamiliar with? Is there something you're trying to get me to see in the midst of the circumstance that I'm caught up in? These are all the thoughts that I pondered upon as I went for this walk. So I finally get to the mechanic shop. They put it in there. And everything seems to be good and well. Obviously, my pockets are diminished, but the job is done. I drive off out of the mechanic shop four minutes later, and the issue resurfaces. I bring it back to the mechanic shop, and then they check it again. And now they notice that there's a shortage from the throttle body, and that shortage is a wire. Which means every single time I've changed that part, it was never the actual part. It was the wiring that was causing the issue. So they fixed that. I drive off. This is Saturday evening. And since then, as of today, Tuesday, it's been well. It's been good. Now, I... This segment was designed to talk about two ways I believe the Lord has blessed me. I want to start off by saying the first way I believe God has blessed me is that he gave me ability to save. That's the first way I believe the Lord has blessed me. Because without savings, I wouldn't be able to pay for what I needed to pay for so that the car could continue to run and I can continue to make money. The second way the Lord has blessed me is he showed me in this situation, the verse, the verse in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for those who love the Lord and accord according to his purpose. So I want to just emphasize the first portion, all things work together for those who love the Lord. 
I've been having the same issue for about two to three months now. I've been having the same issue for the throttle body for the last two to three years now. I can say the way that he's blessed me is that he's resolved the issue all at once in the moment that I needed it the most. Right? It's painful to have to go back and forth to a mechanic shop for the same issues over and over again. This is why it's important that you evaluate who your mechanic is because not every mechanic is created equal and some mechanics are not good. They may be cheap, but you get what you pay for, unfortunately. Now, when I look back at what he did for me in this instance, is I can point out a few things. One, when I went to go purchase the U-Haul to actually get the engine, I made a mistake and parked in a no-standing zone. And anybody who lives in New York should know and understand that that's automatically a $115 ticket. And that was a mistake on my end. Maybe I was super eager to get in the U-Haul to get the engine. Maybe I was super focused. I don't remember at the moment what deterred me to have a lack of attention to that detail. But I missed it. However, God protected me in a way that I didn't have to worry about it. The second way that he, he looked out for me in this moment is that... I was able to get back on track with my studying. So this is like seeing God in the midst of the small things. And I was just able to really hone in on the fact that even in the midst of hardships, God is still present there. He's still present. And I want people to understand that when I started this podcast with Daniel, The main objective was to show people how to maneuver in life, how to apply biblical principles in life, right? That's one of the hardest things to do, right? James talks about whoever looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what they look like. It's an issue, right? Because... By looking in the mirror, you should remember what you look like, right? It's sort of the whole reason why when we get up in the morning and we look in the mirror, that reflection, we want to make sure that our appearance is up to part before we leave the house and go wherever our, our destination is. And for he, for us here on the Truth for the Matter of this podcast, it's really all about honing on honing in on the specifics as it relates to applying the word of God to everyday life right I talk about the importance of history psychology sociology political science philosophy these are all topics that are rooted in scripture and that we also went to school to study for right I talk about the use of hermeneutics, which is extremely important when it comes to reading the Bible in its proper context. Right? It's about really obtaining the word of God truly in the proper context. And it's about applying these practical ways of applying the teachings of Jesus to everyday life. Not just the teachings of Jesus, but also those who walk with him, Paul. 
James, John, right? All those who are disciples. And, you know, this situation has really allowed me to see that God truly is present in all of our circumstances. You just have to pay close attention to it. And I've seen it in my past as well. Which brings me to a passage of scripture that I think is necessary to read to kind of sum this all up so that we can get into the topic for today. And that's out of the book of Job, chapter 1, verses 13 through 22. And my emphasis of stoppage to kind of point some things out will be verse 22 and a few other portions of the scripture. So I'll read it right now. One day when Job's son and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job, Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkey feeding beside them when the sub-beams raided us. They stole all the animals and killed all the farm lands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Verse 16. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God had fallen from the heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the one, I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides the house collapsed and all of your children are dead i am the only one who escaped to tell you job stood up tore his robe in grief then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship he said i came naked from my mother's womb and i will be naked when i leave the lord gave me what i had and the lord has taken it away praise the name of the lord verse 22 says in all of this job did not sin by blaming god now i think the most important verse here is verse here is in all of this right job did not sin by blaming god which means every messenger that came provided information intel in accordance to what transpired to Job's things and by each messenger proclaiming something different it really illustrates the idea it illustrates the idea that when it rains it pours and when we look at our lives and we see things that happen in some cases a lot of things happen back to back and it almost seems like there's no alleviate, right? The pain has subsided. Instead, it's overwhelming you and it's stressing you and it's making you feel like the world is crashing down on you. And ultimately, these are the moments when you have to stay prayed up. Not only do you have to stay prayed up, 
You have to keep your head above seawater. Right? Just a swimming analogy. Keep your head above sea level. And in the moment when these things were happening to me, this is the first verse that came to mind. When things are going bad, you don't want to blame God. Some things are all coincidence. Other things are not necessarily something you can explain. Instead, we don't pout, we don't complain, we don't murmur. We press forward even in the midst of the hardship. So, what is my motivation to tell you today? If you're going through something hard, keep the faith. Stay convicted to what you believe. And I wanted you to understand that part of the narrative of starting this podcast is that myself and Daniel are still trying to figure out what we ultimately want to do with our lives on a permanent scale. But you still have to live a life that exemplifies Jesus. And in part of doing that is learning how to maneuver life when things get tough. And being able to show people that, hey, I don't have it all together. I'm not living lavish. I'm not rich. I don't have a lot of money. And yet I'm still a believer. And most importantly, we want you to know that we can persevere through these hard times, right? Not everybody wants to talk about their hardships and how they're dealing with it. Instead, we hear a lot of stories about people talking about what they've overcome, but never what they're going through in the midst of their issues. And I think that's something we wanted to key in on, that when we're going through hard times and things don't make sense, it's okay, it's natural. The goal is we have to think of ways to praise the Lord at all times and let his praise continuously and forever be in your mouth. And the way that you do that is you praise the Lord in the good times and in the bad times. Again, you praise the Lord in the good times and in the bad times. So, again, here on the Truth and the Matters podcast, we encourage you to reflect over the week. And by doing that, we believe you will be surprised to notice how the presence of the Lord is with you minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. So please reflect. And again, pay close attention to the details of your life because God's presence is in there for sure. Just pay close attention to them. Now, before we do anything else, first and foremost, let's pray. And of course, invite the Holy Spirit into our conversation. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your love and for your kindness, for never being late, but always right on time. We appreciate your presence in the good times as well as the bad times. As we continue to live life one day at a time, give us the strength to continue on. When things get tough and things happen, let us know that you're still God and everything that happens is for our good some way somehow even when the situation seems to be otherwise 
Lord, remind us that we walk by faith and not by sight. So I pray that our circumstances don't distract us because truth be told, it's a tactic to have us question you, Lord. But of course, you know all, see all, hear all, and nothing ever occurs to you. Therefore, Lord, bless us through your word today to keep the faith. Give us the strength to trust you when all seems lost and hopeless. And all those who are in agreement with this, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So continue on with the Gospel of Matthew series. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, NLT. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offerings required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers. And I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come and if I say to my slaves do this they do it when Jesus heard this he said he was actually amazed turn to those who will follow him he said I tell you truly I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel and I tell you this that many Gentiles will come from all over the world from the east and the west sit down with Abraham Isaac and Jacob at the feast in heaven in the kingdom of heaven but many Israelites those for those whom the kingdom was prepared will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth then Jesus said to the Roman officer go home go back home because you believed and it has happened and the young servant was healed that same hour when Jesus arrived at Peter's house Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. Then she got up, prepared a meal for him that evening, and many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all of the sick. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, who said, he took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. 
Last week we spoke about the importance of Jesus' words. Now we take it a step forward when it comes to understanding God's responses when we do things in faith. The truth of the matter is God is always willing to be of assistance to his children. The question we need to ask ourselves is, are we? So let's walk through these verses and really appreciate the narrative as well as the details. We know from last week at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, specifically verses 28 and 29, chapter 7, there were some important things said that give us a deep appreciation for the sequences of events to where we can learn and of course not take things personal at the end of matthew chapter 7 verse 28 the crowds were astonished at jesus teachings when someone is amazed a few things come to mind Right? You're surprised, you're impressed, and you're potentially in shock. Now, the word I haven't mentioned and yet I believe deserves to be on the top of this list when it comes to being amazed is the word wonder. If you think about it, I believe his disciples, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jews, even the Gentiles have wondered about Jesus. And to be truthful, I actually believe that is a great thing. And here's why. When you are wondering about something or someone, you are desiring to have a clue. And having a clue is good, right? You are curious to know something and not nothing at all kind of seems to be something that you would rather not want to operate from. Not having a clue. And not knowing nothing at all means that you're not only clueless, but you're in the dark. And when you're in the dark, it almost seems as though you have no understanding of what's transpiring. You're pretty much lost. Now, there are three passages I want to visit for support. There's a theme that is present in three of the Gospels. Jesus himself is posing a question to his disciples and the passages of reference as it is one thing that is lined up in every gospel is the concept of him wondering about how he's viewed, right? So let's point out the passages of reference so you can write them down. We're looking at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16. You're looking at Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 29. And you're looking at Luke chapter 9, verse 18 through 20. So currently we are working through Matthew. We haven't gotten to Mark. So let's use Luke to look at so we can talk about exactly what he is wondering about. So Luke chapter 9, verse 18 through 20 says, Who do people say I am? Or who do the crowds say I am? And then he personally asks his disciples, 
But what about you? He asks, who do you say I am? This is Jesus from a humanity perspective, wondering what is the word on the street about me? He then takes it a step further to ask those who are most closest to him, the disciples, of course, what do you think I am? Another passage that comes to mind about the concept of wondering is the gospel of Luke chapter 23, verse 8. And this is what it says. It said, Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him and had been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. He asked Jesus questions after question, but Jesus refused to answer him. Now, Jesus didn't answer him for obvious reasons because, of course, he's not a showman, right? He doesn't use his power to help others selfishly. Right, but uses his power to help others in their time of need and also to bring about God's glory, honor, and praise. And that was the main and only reason Jesus used his power responsibly. In fact, there's a verse I want to go to that's important, supports this claim that I just made, and I want to reference this and also bring it up because we need clarity here. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 to 11 and I love it at NIV and you'll find out soon enough why it says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in, in humility in humility value others above yourself not looking to your own interests but to each of you to the interests of the other in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. So why do I love this biblical translation and passage? Well, it starts off mentioning how we should be selfless. And why selfishness is something that we should not continue to do or practice. Instead, value others above yourself when you can. That's my understanding of it, if you're using wisdom, right? Common sense is, if you desire to help others, but you can't help yourself, then you don't have the leisure to help others. So, the goal is to work towards being in a better place so that you can be useful to others. Amen? So, that's what I mean about using wisdom, right? 
What I also mean is that the scripture says to value others above yourself. So when you're valuing others above yourself, that means if you see someone in help and you have the capacity to help them, help them. Don't just keep walking. If you're in a place where you're financially blessed, you, you being financially blessed is not always completely always about you. It's also about being a good steward over your money and utilizing it to help people who seriously need it. I'm not saying give them everything that you have, because again, we're talking about using wisdom here. So if you give them everything that you have, then you don't have enough for you to live off of. What I'm saying is be a cheerful giver. Okay. Amen. Now, I love that after that verse, we see that Jesus in this verse is our standard and who we should model and follow after. Verse six and seven are really powerful for it says, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So let's go even deeper here. Let's actually go to the gospel of Luke chapter four, verse three, where it says the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now I've said this on several different occasions. So I repeat myself again here, because this is very important when it comes to the hermeneutical part of reading scripture in context. One of the portions of hermeneutics speak about the importance of grammar. And if you go to that passage, you will see that stone is singular, which means the devil was tempting Jesus personally. And by doing that, he wanted Jesus to use his power irresponsibly to satisfy his own hunger. And by doing that, that was challenging his personal divinity. Right. His proclamation is that he was God. And if he was God, how selfishly are you to go into the desert to be tested by the Holy Spirit for 40 days and then break that commitment? By satisfying your hunger. That was a test. Now, of course, my point is, is that in the Gospel of Matthew, it doesn't say stone. It says stones, which means it's a completely different narrative because it's emphasizing monetary value, which means him turning that, those stones into bread. It has nothing to do with his personal gain from a hunger standpoint but it has more to do with what he can do with the amount of bread right so we know when it comes to monetary value you can take something and make a profit out of it therefore jesus using the multitudes of bread to then force others to pay him so that they can get what they paid for again now of course jesus passed and didn't do it but he did but if he did right then he would have used his power for himself and in the passage Daniel the passage that I just read in Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 supports the statement that Jesus did not allow equality with God 
to be something used for his own advantage. So let's finish with verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So there's an amazing passage in the book of Proverbs that sums up the qualities of being a great servant. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. Verses 3 to 4, and it says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. I'll read that one more time. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. The reason why I have focused on the word wonder in particular is because wondering makes you think deeply. It makes you research. It makes you question. It makes you curious. And when it comes to you placing your faith in someone, convictionarily, convictionarily, this is the act of discovery you should go on. Because once you have reached the end of your, your search, you should be content and satisfied. The scriptures are a beautiful thing because what I've learned over my time of reading God's word is that the scriptures are designed to make you reflect, right? Give you the proper context and attitude you ought to have. Just like what I mentioned in the book of Job when you're going through something. The scriptures are designed to make you wonder about how you ought to approach things from a Christ-like mindset. The scriptures are designed to hold you accountable Again, the scriptures are designed to hold you accountable and challenge you to see things to see things God's way instead of your own. When you are the center focus of your own world, that's the very definition of selfishness. And it makes you no different than Lucifer because that's the reason why he was cast out. He wanted to be on the throne of God and he thought he was better. Which means we have to ask ourselves, if we're thinking like that, we will get nowhere. Instead, we are flawed individuals who make mistakes and need to be saved. Verse 29 of Matthew said, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. So why does this matter? Well, it sets the stage for acceptance and belief. What makes a public speaker unique and impactful is their ability to become convincing and believable. Maybe it's their elegance that you're attracted to. Maybe it's their sense of humor that's relatable. Maybe it's their demand of a certain standard when they speak and it sounds familiar to you. Maybe it's their ability to tell you the truth about where you currently are 
and where you should be striving to go. Baby, it's the ability to call you to change that you recognize and you appreciate the reminder. Maybe it's the truth you now see because your eyes are open to recognize it. Here, what we have is Jesus being himself. And when you are yourself, you can rub people the wrong way. Of course, Jesus was rubbing people the wrong way because he spoke truth. And through that truth he spoke, he changed the landscape in history forever. For God's sake, he is he has impacted the timeline that we have in history. He is present there. This is very significant and important to highlight. Also, something we need to recognize is that with truth, you get confrontation and denial. You also get supports. You get supporters. Supporters who are eager and committed to follow you and learn from you and be around you. And that is what Jesus was experiencing with his ministry for three and a half years on this earth. To the degree that you have Pharisees and Sadducees who were jealous as a result of the impact he was making in such a short period of time. And of course, it's God in the flesh. Of course, everyone would gravitate to what he is sharing because not only did it resonate with them, it's something that they needed to hear. And when truth is present in front of us, it is hard to reject it. For some, they will because they're not ready to accept it. For others... It's important, and what makes it important is the fact that you have an opportunity to answer the call because it's presented to you in that moment in time, and it's timely. Now, I say all of this because this is how the stage is set when we get to chapter 8. So let's look at this in sections to unpack it, right? And what I mean, let's look at this in sections. Earlier, I read Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. And in that, there are three different sections that we can address individually that fit the theme of what the podcast is particularly structured around, the concept of what the podcast is. And the concept of what the podcast is all structured around is the idea of God's willingness through our act of faith. That's the theme of this episode. It's God's willingness through our act of faith. Okay? Again, it's God's willingness through our act of faith. God's willingness through our act of faith. So, Let's begin by unpacking this passage by going and rereading 1 through 4. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed and instantly the leprosy disappeared. 
Then Jesus said to him, Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priests and let them examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This would be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Now, I just want to look at this last portion just to bring something up about our commitment to Jesus. And I just caught this and I think it's important to tell you. He says this will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. When we talk about being saved, there is a there is something stated in Romans, might be chapter 10, where it says if you believe in your heart and confess out of your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. That's a verbal, that's a verbal act of being saved. I also think that being baptized is a public declaration of you being saved. And the reason why I think that's vital and important is because when you get baptized publicly and you declare that Jesus is Lord publicly, that is an announcement to the spiritual forces that exist in the heavenly places as well as the earthly realm that have a large impact on our reality is that you belong to God. And I think that's important to recognize because not only are you saved to yourself when you admit that prayer, right? There's also acts that follow, but there's also needs to be a declaration to the spiritual forces that have a desire to have you or manipulate you. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't be manipulated, but what it means is they don't have power over you because they know who you belong to, which means you're special in the sight of God. Therefore, they see that and recognize that, and therefore, they can't take up president within you because that is where Christ and God have made their home at. In fact, that is where the Holy Spirit resides. But for those who don't have the Holy Spirit in them that that they belong to God, those are the ones, those who are unsaved are vulnerable. Okay? And I mention that because I thought it was important to mention what Jesus told the man who was healed to go do as a testimony of being clean. Now, once Jesus spoke, words of wisdom and authority what followed him was the power to heal and the authority to change circumstance now isn't that special right this because sometimes we hear words of wisdom that don't quite hit they don't hit us to move us the Holy Spirit is not present in the things that they say, and therefore it has no impact. It has minor impact, right? I think the illustration Jesus provided was so beautiful about sowing seed and it falling on good ground and falling on not so good ground or thorns, and he gives you the different illustrations of what happens to the seed. And he's talking about the believer in society that, the devil has an opportunity to come and choke them of the words of wisdom that was passing them to allow them to be effective in the marketplace, to be effective in their life, right? And that's another point, but I just bring that up 
interesting because that's a great parable. But sometimes you hear words of wisdom from an individual or no power or evidence to support their claim follows. This is where the question that we ask is, why should we believe you or in fact listen to you? Now, of course, we've read this portion of this portion in the passage from Luke, but I'm giving you questions to ask yourselves when you read this. It's important to be curious because curiosity, again, brings you to a framework and mindset to wonder, and that wonder makes you go study the scriptures even more to potentially have answers. And if you don't have answers, you pray about it, and through that prayer, you then, you know, come to full circle and reevaluate what you do know and what you don't know. And that is where learning takes place. Next thing I want to address in this Matthew 8 verses 1 through 4 is timing. When we come to God, are we coming to him after we have turned a deaf ear to him on multiple occasions? I'm talking about the state of mind we are in when we come back to God which means God's probably been wanting us not to do certain things and we haven't been listening and now that things are getting really tough all of a sudden we want to come back to God another question is are we at our end and now we turn to God some of us try not to establish relationship with God, but instead what we end up doing is we reach rock bottom and then we turn to God. Which is why it's important about relationship with God because it allows you to go through a process. One of the things I mentioned earlier about what's going on with me is because I have a relationship with God, I have the ability to look in scripture and find comfort in God's word to allow me to get through the things that I'm getting through. Having a relationship with your word is having a relationship with God. And through that relationship, you find comfort in hard times. If you're not reading your word, then you won't find comfort in hard times. And as a result, with no comfort in hard times, you then look at other sources to bring you comfort. Addictions, practices, drinking, fornication, all these other things bring you temporary satisfaction. And I've done some of those things. I'm not innocent this so i want to make sure we understand that sometimes when we lean on other things other than god that becomes our god and unfortunately if that becomes our god then we're moving in the wrong direction and really establishing a legitimate relationship that we have with god when he could comfort you in these times The next thing I want to say is the man with leprosy knelt before Jesus and asked if you are willing. And I believe truly God is always willing to help us. I think the issue is we want God's willingness to happen in our timing and in the way that we envision it and wanted it to happen. Let me repeat that. I believe God is always willing to help us 
I think the issue is we want God's willingness to happen in our own personal timing and in the way that we envision him to help us. The example we get in this passage is a miracle, but the question to ask ourselves is, what if it doesn't happen this way for us? Like the text says, in that instance, talk about applying God's word to everyday life. Will you wait on the Lord or will you go somewhere else? So it can happen in the way that you want it to happen. Interesting enough, one of the stories that come up to mind is when Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and the storm came. And when the storm hit, they didn't recognize who was in the boat with them and therefore they panicked. And when they then realized who was in the boat with them, not only did he tell the waves and the seas to be still, they questioned what man has authority to have control over that. And if we're in relationship with God, that means... When things get tough, we have to lean on God and not waver. It's happening for a reason. Just watch God work in the midst of it. Now, of course, Jesus made him well when it came to leprosy. And as it relates to us, it can be a number of things that God is addressing. Verse 4 is interesting, and I asked myself, what was the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony of evidence to them that are being healed? And to get this answer, I went to Leviticus chapter 14, verses 4 through 8, and in there you find a bunch of different sacrifices in the Jewish law, Old Testament, that they utilized for the cleansing of sins. Obviously, this is before Jesus became the sacrificial lamb, which ultimately he is our rest means he is the one that forgives sins on account of his death and him dying for us and therefore repentance is a gift that we have as a result of Christ's death and resurrection not only through eternal life but through the forgiveness of sins if you want a little bit more of that information you can also go to the first john chapter one but we won't go there we're going to go to leviticus chapter 14 verses 4 through 8 this is the priest shall order that two live clean birds and some cedar wood scarlet yarn and hypsos be brought for the people for the person to be cleansed brought for the person to be cleansed then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over fresh water in a clay pot. He is then to take the live bird and dip it together with the cider wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hypsos into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease and at the pronounce, then pronounce them clean. After that, he is released, and the live bird is left to go in open fields. The person to be cleansed must wash their clothes, shave off all their hair, and bathe with water. Then they will be ceremonially clean. After this, they may come into the camp, but they must stay outside their tents for seven days. 
Now, of course, this is the fulfillment of Jewish customs. This is a little bit of the insight of some of the traditional practices that they did as a result of the forgiveness of sins of certain courts, certain kinds from the Levitic, the Levitic, I think it's called the Leviticus law. Now, let's move into the second section. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. It says, when Jesus returned to Comparum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Jesus just say the word so uh repeat that portion i am not worthy to have you come into my home just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed i know this because i am under authority of my superior officers i've had authority over my soldiers i only need to say go and they go or come and they come and if i say to my slaves do this they do this when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman official, go back home because you believed it and it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. What makes this an incredible story is that the Roman officer or the centurion, depending on the translation you read, has a high comprehension when it comes to the power of God's words. That high comprehension comes as a result of understanding who God is. And in this case, having faith. Again, it's not a matter of needing to be in the physical location for God to make something happen. Right? It's all about your faith. Paul and Jesus said Jews were always looking for signs. And yet this Gentile man understood it he used his own experience as a man of authority to put two and two together and therefore act with understanding and comprehension of what faith is which is truly amazing to say the least this is why jesus said go and it will be done for you as you believed it will be remember faith is believing in what he has already done not what he is going to do that might be hard for some of us but i want to repeat that faith is believing in what he has already done not what he is going to do it's because of this act of faith in jesus christ we see this in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 through 22 which says some very powerful stuff here it says for he himself is our peace 
who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier that is dividing war of hostility by setting aside his flesh the law with its commands and regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for though him we both we have access well for through him we both have access to the father by one spirit consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with god's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and the rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Powerful, powerful verse there amazing just amazing so we finish up with matthew 8 verses 14 through 17 for it says when jesus arrived at peter's house peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever but when jesus touched her hand the fever left her then she got up and prepared a meal for him that even many demon possessed people or brought to Jesus, he cast out the evil spirits with a simple command. And he healed all those who were sick. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, who said, He took up our sicknesses and removed our word diseases. So we see prophecy was fulfilled. We see how Jesus and his authority was on full display. And all it took for him really was to give a command, the scripture says. So we want to finish up with this, right? God's willingness to help us come, to help us, God's willingness to help us, to help us comes through the avenue of faith. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says that by faith we understand that God, that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible again. We know Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. We also know in Hebrews eleven six it says that without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And on that note, we close with devotional time. So I want to revisit Luke and I want to look at Luke chapter 22 verse 42 for it says, Father, if you are willing, Remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now, we talked about God's willingness through our act of faith today, and we see that 
it wasn't God's will to remove the cup. Instead, scripture says in Isaiah 55, 10, that it was the Lord's will to crush him, Jesus, and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his, Jesus, hand. What should we take from this? Well, God's will was to give us eternal life. And of course, if spiritual forces knew this, they would have never had Jesus killed, which means no one knew it because God's plan was done to perfection and therefore he deserves glory, honor, and praise. So I finish with this prayer. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for thinking of us before the foundation of the world. We thank you for loving us. Lord, we pray that many more each day will come to recognize that and, of course, place their faith in you, nothing else. And we say these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.